1: We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the
2: Yoga Hour. Our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a familiar word to many today, but not everyone yet knows that it refers to a deep system of philosophy and practice for spiritual awakening bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously rest in our essential spiritual nature. You can say that yoga, as uh, defined as oneness or unity, means being restored to our original wholeness. Yoga is self-realization, knowing our true spiritual nature, and then, of course, knowing it is realizing it, living in harmony with it. And today, we're going to talk about Yoga in America and how, uh, Yoga has changed America, but also how America is changing yoga. Today's topic is Divine Alchemy. The arrival of yoga in America, and especially through the influences of Swami Vivekananda, whose 150th birthday celebration is currently going on, and Parmanza Yogananda, profoundly impacted the way we experience religion and spirituality in the West. Once uh, yoga was considered a mysterious and esoteric practice, suitable to only a few people, now yoga and meditation are embraced by millions every day um, for everything from stress relief um, to a path of enlightenment. Joining us today, returning to Yoga Hour, is Phil Goldberg, the author of the book American Veda, and we're going to be As I said, looking at not only how yoga influenced the West, but now how that influence is also moving the other way, how the West is influencing yoga itself and raising some really important questions about tradition as a result of that influence. Phil Goldberg is the author or co-author of 19 books. His book, American Veda, was named one of the top 10 religious books of 2010. And I believe it just became available and paperback edition as an not author yet. not yet it's coming out it's it's a it's a prophecy isn't it
3: <laughs> <In> May.
2: <laughs> okay good it will be out as an author yeah. spiritual counselor meditation teacher and ordained interfaith minister phil lectures and leads workshops uh, throughout the country he lives in los angeles where he founded spiritual wellness and healing Associate. Associates, Swaha. He is Director of Outreach for SpiritualCitizens.net and blogs regularly on the Huffington Post and Intent.com. He he has two websites, philgoldberg.com and americanveda.com. Welcome, Phil. It's so good to have you back on the Yoga Hour.
3: Great to be with you, Alan. Uh, Can I just correct the website? Yes, please do. It's philip. Goldberg. Oh, Philip Goldberg. yes. Com.
2: It's true. You're right. It's right in we, front
3: of we, me. I know. It this <laughs> happens all the time. We,
2: okay, we thank you. So, Philip, PhilipGoldberg.com or AmericanVeda.com. Before we begin our conversation about this divine alchemy influence, East and West, West to East, let's take a moment for a centering meditation. Mm -hmm. In this moment, let us be aware of that one reality which is omnipresent, the source of all that is, the substance of all that is, one life, one power, one presence in which we live and move and have our being. And as there is simply one, this one reality is our life. So we are like waves on the ocean of consciousness. And we take this moment like a wave to simply return into the depths of that ocean of divine peace, divine bliss. So when you breathe in, feel that you are like a wave returning to the depths. And simply intend to let your awareness rest in your essential nature, beyond words and thoughts, beyond change and phenomena, pure existence being. Any time we direct our attention this way... ...is simply turn within and become aware of our spiritual essential nature... ...we begin to notice that peace is inherent to our being... ...and it can fill our hearts and our minds and our bodies... So do that now. Simply invite the peace of your soul, the peace of your essential nature, to pervade your mind, your body. And then let us agree to abide in that conscious awareness of peace throughout the day today and to let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. We're going to begin our conversation this morning taking a look at yoga coming to the West. And I want to, of course, highly recommend uh, Phil Goldberg's book, uh, American Veda. Uh, from Emerson and the Beatles to yoga and meditation how Indian spirituality changed the West it is um, a wonderful book to read. it's easy to read but it is also full of excellent research and information um, that is 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 groundbreaking in terms of how we see this larger picture of the changes that are taking place in the consciousness of our planet, and uh, yoga has a lot to do with it. So if we Google the term yoga, we get over 85 million responses, and there are websites for yoga studios, yoga publications, yoga organizations, yoga centers, and so on. Wikipedia defines yoga as a commonly known generic term for physical, mental, and spiritual disciplines, which originated in ancient India. And yoga, of course, today means many different things to many different people. So that's a good place for us to begin. Phil, how do you define yoga after this extensive research that you've done? So how do you define it? And then um, if you would also tell us how, y- you know, what got you here in this research? You know, how did you discover yoga um, and how has it influenced
3: your life um, wow uh, <laughs> it's another I try book. <laughs> to define it as seldom as possible because, because mm-hmm. um, as you said so eloquently uh, it means different things for different people and, and the term has come to mean something quite different from what its original meaning uh, was and, st- and, 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 and still is Um, So the Wikipedia definition is actually pretty accurate for the state of affairs we now live in, where yoga is thought of as uh, a set of uh, practices. Unfortunately, it usually is associated with only the physical practices of um, asana, Mm-hmm. which are the postures, the stretchers, and bends that people are familiar with from yoga classes and now television commercials and so forth. Um, whereas the methodology originally was primarily an interior one and a mental and spiritual one, uh, the package together, could, you could say, constitutes sort of a repertoire of yogic practices. But yoga... Uh, is more than just the practices. It's also... I mean, the word itself uh, means union because, as, as many people know, it, it comes from the same root, Sanskrit root, as our word yoke, and it means uh, union, and it, uh, it implies union, but it as I often say, it doesn't mean the union of the head to the knee. It means the union of the individual self, the personality, with the larger self, uh, you could say the universal self, that uh, we all are in our essence. And mm-hmm. this was the, the aim of yoga, and to a serious practitioner still is. And, um, and even the physical practices, which have all these health and fitness benefits, were originally designed as ways to cultivate the uh, conditions in the body and the nervous system to um, facilitate, help to facilitate the uh, uh, inner experience in meditation of transcending the body, the sense of body and and personality and uniting with the ultimate uh, spiritual essence of the universe. Um, And that's what yoga means when it's not thought of as an activity, but as a state, a state of being, which mm-hmm. is, would be defined as uh, the consciousness of that unity.
0: Mm. Yeah. As and for your and session, you know, as,
3: yeah, go as, ahead, as, we should...
2: And As I was listening to you, Phil, I was thinking about how in, you know, um, so, so many practitioners of yoga study Patanjali's Yoga Sutra um, to learn about the philosophy and the deeper practices in the tradition. And there, the word yoga is synonymous with samadhi. Um, this higher state of consciousness, which you're describing, you know, meaning to bring together completely. Um, in, you know, referring to our attention and our awareness consciously resting in our essential nature. And, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, so many people associate the term yoga with the physical postures. And, and then I think even if there's an understanding of what yoga means, you know, as a union, um, and one is practicing hatha yoga and looking to experience this this inner uh, reality. That that sometimes, especially in the West, just due to our nature of um, industriousness, there's a confusion that yoga is something that you do um, in right. order to uh, accomplish something, to make something, uh, when in reality, yoga, the techniques of yoga, are something that is done to reveal what is already so. And so that's a common right, right. Uh, fusion, I think. And tell us a little yes, bit about that. and your... it's
3: often, I mean, if you, you refer to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, there's a couple of interesting things uh, in that regard. First, when he defines yoga in the very, well, it's the second sutra, essentially. He's not defining it as uh, an activity or something you do. It's a state. Yoga mm-hmm. is the cessation of mental activity, or depending on how you translate it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: the other thing about uh, Patanjali is that there are no physical practices in Patanjali. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only reference to asana is for posture and meditation. Right. There's really, I mean, the, the asana that we know—the sequence of uh, all the different uh, various positions and postures and so forth—are they're not in Patanjali. That's a philosophical treatise on on the uh, on what yoga really is. There's no instructions and no positions and postures and stretches or bends. Those come from other sources.
2: Mm. And you know, Phil, and I, um, one of the things I appreciate about your work and your book is that, um, of course, your extensive research and your your love for the topic, um, but also that you're, you're writing, um, in a sense, uh, about something that you've been a part of for a long time. And so you're, 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 you're writing, and you have a very objective way of looking at it, but you're but you're also inside of it, you know, due to your, your own journey. So tell us a little bit about that.
3: Well, you're right. I, people often ask how long it took me to write my book, and I, I jokingly, half jokingly, say you know 45 years, because in a sense, without knowing it, I was doing research, just living my life as a practice, as a practitioner and seeker for all those years, and, and the writer part of my uh, brain was busy observing what was going on, so when it came time to write this book, I had already absorbed a lot of material. But I, I was a child of the 60s and and was seeking and, and uh, very dissatisfied with uh, the answers I was getting from the uh, mainstream culture about... Uh, who we are and what we are and what we're doing here and how you how to live a meaningful and fulfilling life and all the other burning questions of the time and also how to change the situations that we were in and um, so I did a lot of seeking and uh, mainstream religion did not uh, interest me, it didn't satisfy me. I majored in psychology and then dropped out of graduate school because they I, the answers weren't there either, and mm. uh, politics disillusioned me. And, and then um, somehow, it was all, I guess, in the uh, zeitgeist of the times. Um, sometime in the mid-60s, mid to late 60s, somebody gave me uh, books to read. I can't even remember which ones came first, but they were... Um, in the sort of library of the counterculture <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> floating mm-hmm. from one hippie to another mm-hmm. um, these books books by people like Alan Watts and, and Aldous Huxley and uh, books by, about Buddhism and Hinduism and bu- books about mysticism and yoga and and a big one of course was uh, Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi and Somehow these resonated with me, the sort of essence of the yogic ideal and the philosophy of Vedanta and the principles of Buddhism and just Eastern philosophy in general seemed to be much more rational and much more um, accurate depiction of life as I saw it. And I just wanted to know more. I couldn't get enough of it. I just kept reading and reading. Uh, Then in 1968, I I took up uh, a transcendental meditation uh, a few months after the Beatles famously uh, got involved with that and went to India. Um, And that became the centerpiece of my practice. And uh, things evolved from there. Uh, All Mm -hmm. these many, many years later. Mm -hmm. And there's many,
2: many factors that contributed to the way in which, um, yoga, um, took root in in America and when we come back from the break we're going to touch on those you know why uh, was and is America such fertile ground for the teachings and practices of yoga um, you're listening to the yoga hour with guest Philip Goldberg um, you can find out more about his work at americanveda.com and also meet Phil at the upcoming international Kriya yoga Congress in San Jose California California. California, March uh, 7 through 9. Find out about that at csecenter.org. We'll be right back with you. Our goal at Unity Online Radio is to continue expanding our spiritual programming and growing our listening audience. To help us become an ever-stronger voice in today's world, we ask for your support. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity online radio
0: live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on mobile listening.
4: There is peace. is quiet Reverend Paulette's mantra is it's all a prayer tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness make no mistake this is not nap time with an energy that will captivate you touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation leaving you enlivened Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. The voice of an awakening world.
0: Letting go in the stillness.
1: You're listening to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome
2: back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Philip Goldberg, the author of American Veda, From Emerson and the Beatles to Yoga and Meditation, How Indian Spirituality Changed the West. So, Phil, let's start with um, just briefly looking at that. You know, why, is, um, why was and is America such fertile ground for yoga? How, why, how are the two very suitable for each other?
3: You know, I had to think a lot about that in writing American Veda, and Americans are very complicated people, but if there's anything we are, it's pragmatic. Americans may resist change at first or the, the, something new, but but other Americans are very eager to look at something new, and o- over time, if something works, if something is practical, if something holds up to evidence and personal experience, if it has benefit, we'll adapt it and we'll Mm. adopt it. And that's what we did with yoga Mm. and with all the teachings that have come here from the the East. Mm. They've become part of the fabric of, of American life because they work. I
2: think that's a great explanation. And of course, there's the element in yoga of, um, the emphasis on individual experience. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, our, our sense of, you know, rugged individualism and the necessity of, um, being able to know something for ourselves, um, it, is there. And, you know, and I think we should say really that it, it isn't, you know, East or West, but, but the, but the fact that the teachings are uh, pointing to truth, that wherever they go, you know they're, they're going to be they're going to find a resonance because the resonance has to do with the heart uh, of the matter. Um, let's talk just briefly about right. I, you know, I
3: would just add that they're, they're very much in keeping. The teachings of yoga are very compatible with science and reason, mm. and, and as you say, also with the American ethos of freedom of choice. Mm. It's all built in. It's all part of yoga that you, you go by the evidence of your own experience and you choose your path, and mm-hmm. that is very, very American.
0: Mm,
2: yes, absolutely. And... um yeah I, and that that ability for us to know um, for ourselves and the freedom to explore um, mm-hmm. you know when and of course part of how how yoga came to America and how it um, it took root, you know, had to do with the luminous um, teachers of yoga, the radiant beings, you know, who brought it over here. Um, Swami Vivekananda, for one, coming to the Parliament of the World's Religions and then staying here for a while to, um, you know, disseminate teachings and then after that, 1920, Paramahansa Yogananda. And, um, you know, how do you, did you see that both of them, um, whilst still Staying true to the philosophy um, made some adaptations culturally to, to make the teachings available. Did, did you see that going on?
3: Oh, this, is, this has been big, a big central feature of the story I tell uh, from day one. And uh, you're right about singling out those two uh, groundbreakers and, and all the teachers that came after them they all did that they all adapted to western culture very skillfully and at the same without compromising the uh, integrity of the teachings they were bringing from their tradition and that that skill was a big part of the success story of yoga coming to to the west uh, in case of Vivekananda, you know he was he was only here for three years or so at a time when there was no uh, mass media as we as we came to know it. But he had a tremendous impact because um, he he understood the West. He was schooled in uh, in India uh, in English and knew how to adapt the language and what to emphasize and what to leave out. In uh, introducing Americans to the philosophy of Vedanta and the practices of yoga, he was the first to um, to put into English the the, uh, the thorough descriptions of the four different pathways of yoga: Bhakti, uh, Gyan, Karma Yoga, and Raja Yoga. And he articulated his the philosophy by, in a way that emphasized the, its rational, uh, philosophical, and sort of um, evidence-based approach to uh, spiritual development, and sort of understood the need to adapt the language and, and not um, bog down Americans or scare Americans with terminology or iconography or images that they would associate with uh, Hinduism or with the religion of India. He made it more of a philosophical and scientific package. And similarly with with Yogananda, when he came, now we were in in an age when there was uh, the beginning of air travel and radio and and that sort of thing. And he could reach many more people and he was a genius at um, adapting uh, his traditional teachings to, to to the West, I often tell people that if you go to uh, any um, institution or organization connected with yogananda 's lineage on a sunday morning uh, you will it will look like a church service mm-hmm. well they yeah. don 't have that in india
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, no,
3: there's no Sunday morning service you know in India with Congregation like that, uh, Yogananda saw that uh, Americans get spiritual on Sunday mornings,
4: and
3: he gave them another alternative for those who lived, you know, at that, at that time in Los Angeles and then everywhere else. Um so he adapted it and he he adapted um he he, he adapted traditional sort of devotional singing by, by not only doing it in traditional Sanskrit but in but by composing English language hymns mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. Um and and he used mail order to disseminate some of his uh teachings which in the 1920s was a brand-new technology. When you think mm-hmm. about it, it was like mm-hmm. the Internet of its age. You clicked a coupon and you mailed it in, and the next week you got something in return, like in the Sears, Sears, Sears Roebuck uh, catalog. <laughs> exactly. And, and this was a tremendous... When you think about it, you know, this is a, an adaptation. You know, they don't have yes. mail-order teachings in India. It was all one-on-one guru to student and, uh, uh, and, uh, and so
2: advertising the uh, advertising the autobiography of a yogi in in some of the major magazines of of America Time magazine and so forth, which is still going on so You know, let's take a look at now what is happening at the landscape today, because because of this nature of yoga, where a person has the freedom to explore, to find out what is true for them, what works for them, and the and the emphasis that is there on yes, you know, go ahead and and experiment, discover, find out. Some of that spirit has, of course, also led to you know changes of yoga um as it is practiced in in america so um you know we when i look out to me it looks like a you know a, a literal revolution you know there's yoga studios yeah, yeah. on you know in every town in america little towns have you know three yoga studios and right. um and they're all practicing you know different types of um of yoga so you you know what are you seeing in 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 america today um this changing landscape of yoga
3: yeah it's very interesting um and complex but you're right it is uh, there's you know more yoga studios than starbucks in, in 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 most major cities these days and it shows up everywhere and the and the variations um sometimes get ludicrous. I mean, there's, you know, wine-tasting yoga weekends.
2: <laughs> yeah, or should we mention nude, nude yoga?
3: Yeah, right. I mean, you know, everybody's Googling now. Yes. All the listeners. <laughs> They're Googling nude yoga. There's all these variations because yoga has become like, you know the, the advertising industry and the entrepreneurial spirit of America—they'll grab anything that's fashionable and use it to their advantage. So now yoga poses and the word yoga is being used for selling all kinds of products, um, and some of it gets so ludicrous it's almost offensive to the tradition. But. <laughs> at the same time it's part of this american spirit and i you know people who are in the yoga community are torn because at the one on the one hand there's this danger that yoga will be trivialized and mm-hmm. it will be come just synonymous with some form of fitness exercise like yoga will will come to mean something as broad as aerobics or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um and that's that's a danger that the deep meaning of yoga and in its, in its great profundity could get overshadowed by something as superficial as, "Hey, this is a good way to look good and you know lose weight or whatever." But the other aspect of that is those benefits that people get who just care about the physical practice as a form of exercise, those are great benefits and, and you don't want to trivialize them or mm-hmm. to make light of them. If somebody comes to yoga because, you know, they had a back injury or they're, they want to lose weight or whatever their mode or even just look better and feel better, um, they are then exposed to the deeper meanings if they go to the right class, so they're, mm-hmm. they're an entry point. Mm-hmm. And... So there's, you know, it's a complex story. It is. But
2: and and I, I think that we, you know, like you say, that some, many of these um American um, ways of uh, participating in yoga can become a doorway and so there are doorways everywhere you know which is really exciting right. in terms of the evolution of consciousness on our planet you know there's many ways right. you know people can find the path um, but sometimes as you say it, it can also be unrecognizable so you know we had coming from India a traditional form of uh, call and response chanting, uh, kirtan, right. you know, designed to prepare one for meditation. And as you mentioned, you know, one of the things that Paramahansa Yogananda did was, um, you know, make uh, bring the chants into English so That's people right. could relate to what they were singing. But what we see today, um, you know, some of the chants crossing over into you know American rock and
3: roll. That's right. I was at a kirtan evening just uh, a little last week, and, you know, the instrumentation was a combination of traditional kirtan, you know, harmonium, which, by the way, is not an Indian <laughs> instrument. It was a British <laughs> instrument that, that became adapted to India. So there's a cor- cross-fertilization, um, the tabla and, and some strings, but, there was a you know a rock and roll drummer and a bass player and and guitars and and the rhythms and sort of nuances of of the music start to get very rhythm and bluesy, but mm-hmm. the uh, the traditional mantras don't change their mm-hmm. articulation may change, the rhythms may change and you know uh, but but not the uh, the use of mantra. The use of the Sanskrit mantras as um, chanting uh, vehicles. So there's again an adaptation right in in, in there. And, and but it, but that even in India, you know, there's a lot of variation in instrumentation and you know. Uh, the 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 performers' personalities and emotions. Uh, uh, so there's That's room for true. that. That's true. I, I that remember
2: situation. being in India many years ago in a little village, and in a restaurant where they had you know a sound system and they were. Playing Indian music and, you know, right onto the sound system came this sort of rock and roll version of the Gayatri mantra. And I was really uh, surprised. It was, you know, yeah. very upbeat. Om, Bur,
0: buva, swaha.
2: Yeah. Everybody was kind of rocking out to this, um, this very traditional mantra. Um, two things that, um, I'd like to mention, you know, before we go to the break, you know, one is, um, about female participation and leadership in yoga—that mm-hmm. I think we're mm-hmm. seeing more of in the West—that is certainly part a of a changing more. landscape. And um, so let's just let's talk about that for a moment, and then I want to talk about social activism if we have time before we break.
3: Yeah, the, I think uh, in the last chapter of American Veda, when I talk about sort of more recent trends, one of the significant ones is the emergence of. Well, in, in in the larger sense, the emergence of the the sort of divine feminine uh, the, the yoga in in previous in the past, going back to uh, you know to the origins in the West, it was the the guru figures were all male, and they were very powerful personalities who lectured a lot. And now you have the emergence of female gurus. The most popular guru in the world is the the, the woman people call Amma, the Hugging Saint. Uh-huh. You know, and and uh, people in the yoga world, um, the classes tend to always have been dominated by female students, but most, many of the, the leading teachers and entrepreneurs and journalists... And people uh, promoting yoga are, are female, uh, are women leaders, and, uh, well, and look at you. <laughs> and, 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 and I think that's a great balancing uh, that's taking shape and, and very healthy for, for uh, the future of, of, of these teachings.
2: It seems so, and it seems consistent with you know, just simply a rise in female leadership um, in our world you know in in many in many areas, so that 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 seems helpful as well um, i I do want to mention that I think one of the areas that is really strong um, for yoga in America and will grow stronger you know in, in the future is that the philosophy of yoga is is ripe for uh, social activism, although it's kind of a paradox in that you'll find many of the traditional teachers of yoga uh, in the traditional writings say, you know, don't bother trying to change the world, right? Because it's always going to be in flux. You know, you, you should, uh, in a sense, put your energy and attention on waking up. But, you know, one of the things we're seeing in the West is, you know, you have to do both. <laughs> you have to wake up yes. and then see that yoga means, you know, we're all connected, you know, like one ecosystem, one life. And that leads to yeah. some powerful social activism.
3: No, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's There was, a, for, for a long time, a, a very unfortunate tendency to uh, turn away from the world and, and worldly uh, affairs uh, for those seeking enlightenment. There was an emphasis on renunciation um, and uh, the the sort of which is in a you know is not something most of us uh, is healthy for most of us who are active in the world and have families and jobs and everything. And uh, that was unfortunate. But I see a, 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 a counter uh, trend. the last 10 years or so, as you say, and a lot of activism in the uh, world of yoga and in in general and spiritual, uh, sort of alternative spirituality in general, where people are realizing that the um, ideal of people changing the world by changing people's inner life one at a time is not uh, happening fast enough.
0: And Mm -hmm. that
3: to change the inner change that you have as a practitioner Uh, can be addressed, uh, can be uh, taken out into the world uh, for the benefit of the community uh, as a whole. And Mm -hmm. so you see much more social activism, much more charity work, especially in areas like ecology and feeding the hungry and so forth. And I think that's an extremely healthy thing. And it goes way back to the tradition of yoga. I mean, if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, i mean the bhagavad gita you have uh, krishna who is you know sort of the embodiment of of divine intelligence advising arjuna a warrior to go to battle mm-hmm. because something has to be done to combat the forces of evil that have gathered mm-hmm. and he should not he does not tell him go off into a cave mm-hmm. he says established in yoga perform action So he has all these yogic teachings, go, be a yogi, and then come back and do what you have to do. Exactly,
2: exactly. And Paramahansa Yogananda said, even while you are learning to swim in the sea of life, you can still help others. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and you're listening to The Yoga Hour with our special guest, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Um, There's some fascinating uh, information on his website, AmericanVeda.com. We uh, will be right back with you.
1: Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. listening to the yoga hour living the eternal way with reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien if you have a question please submit it via email at, yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond now back to the yoga hour
2: welcome back to the yoga hour i'm yogacharya ellen grace o'brien and my guest today is phil goldberg and I want to invite you to um, meet Phil and to experience his lecture on American Veda at the upcoming International Kriya Yoga Congress in San Jose, March 7 through 9, along with Roy Eugene Davis, a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, to register, or get more information about that Congress, go to csecenter.org and you can click on the Congress banner that's right there on the homepage. So we've been talking about um, yoga and the influence, the way in which the West has been influenced by yoga, and now about how yoga is changing and adapting uh, to life in the West. And um, In this last segment, let's talk a little bit about um, concerns that come up about these changes in yoga, uh, some of the resistance to it. Um, Phil, what have you seen in terms of concerns about what might be lost um, in this uh, changing landscape of yoga as it's being practiced in America today,
3: well, uh, we already uh, mentioned that in in the uh, given the popularity of the physical practices of uh, hatha yoga, um, yoga could become uh, synonymous with those uh, fit with what we think of as exercises. And um, and that's already happened to a large segment of the population. Um, and so there's deep concern um, uh, about the possibility of losing sight of the deeper practices and the deeper meaning but i'm very sanguine about it frankly because a i see in the yoga world you know people running studios people training teachers uh that they're concerned about this and so they're adapting their teaching procedures and uh, making sure you know taking steps to make sure this doesn't happen and um and, and and there's something else about it and that is that even in the most ordinary hatha yoga practices if they're done properly it they're sort of it's built in that there will be some deepening of experience and so the practices themselves if they're maintained in their integrity and if the other practices the meditative practices remain part of the repertoire uh, and I don't see any reason why they shouldn't because of you know the sciences of uh, validating the importance of meditation every day, I mean there's new studies coming out all the time. So I don't see. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident it'll the adaptation will continue, and in, you know it'll be trivialized and uh, so forth. But I don't think we're in danger of losing the depth as long as we remain vigilant and 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 that 's always been the case. It must be said that this we 're talking about the current situation, but it 's always been that way. I mean, when Yogananda was teaching in the twenties and thirties it we shouldn 't delude ourselves into thinking that everybody who came to him to learn or to took up kriya yoga was interested in spiritual enlightenment.
4: Mm-hmm. They may
3: just have wanted to calm down a little bit mm-hmm. or, or to you know yeah. or to have a, a you know a, 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 a bit more success in their business, and they think you know, and and the teachings would have supported that. Your if your mind is clear and you're you have less stress, that you'll do better. I mean, when I was teaching TM in in 1971, seventy two. You know we wanted to talk about enlightenment and higher consciousness, and the new research had come out that meditation lowers your blood pressure, so we were flooded with people just wanted to get off blood pressure medication <laughs> yeah. and and you know so it's, this is not new you know uh-huh. the, the people will come to these teachings and and it's the great glory of yoga that it can be all these different things to mm-hmm. different people depending mm-hmm. on their needs and their situation in life and their current state of their uh, evolution. Mm -hmm. It it is good for your health. It is good for your mind. It is good for your... uh, appearance <laughs> and, uh, and know, it I, is I'm, good for spirituality and, and uh, higher consciousness it, and, it you does know and as i'm listening things.
2: to you um phil kind of talk about the generous um spirit of yoga uh, you know i'm i'm thinking about um, parman Yogananda saying you know there's room for everybody you know i remember one time i i was talking with my guru roy jean davis about you know a minister who had I was talking to about about yoga and this minister said to me you know well i you know years ago you know i started you know with my with study of yogananda you know and then i went on you know into this other field and you know so forth and 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 i was kind of you know put off by that and i so i said to my guru, how could anyone you know say they started you know with yogananda and and then you know go on to something else, you know. And and my girl just he he just had the most beautiful response. He was kind of quiet and, and then he said sort of softly, he said, I think Master would be pleased. You know, in in other words, that, you know, here was somebody who had been inspired by yoga and then just taken what they needed from it and gone on to do a good work. And so there is that spirit of generosity um, that that is really beautiful. But I think also, you know, what is going to you know, continue to make a difference is that there are some um, kind of keepers of the traditional Um, teachings, right? Because, you know, one of the dangers that I see is that uh, like, uh, you know, cuisine in America, (laughs) you you know, (laughs) it it, gets confusing about, you know, well, what is it and where did it come from? I mean, you know, you could go to, um, you know, a new thought progressive church and hear Sanskrit mantra, you know, being chanted, but out of the context of, you know, How it's used and what does it mean, and and then there's the whole stream of um, neo Vedanta um, taking off in America. Um, So these are interesting changes, and it seems important that people still be able to find um, the source of these teachings and how the the deeper meanings.
3: Yes and and I think it's very important that you know look we're having this conversation um and I would hope that people listening take this part of it seriously it requires vigilance uh, you know so many good things can get corrupted easily and then and their uh, their virtues and their uh, the the promise of what they can offer the world can get lost and you're right to mention food um and, and transportation and technology, all you know, these wonderful inventions of human, human beings, medicine, um, and yoga is, is something very similar. Uh, it can be trivialized and corrupted if we're not vigilant. And uh, so these conversations, um, conferences like some of the ones I've been at where these issues are discussed, uh, are terribly important, and it's terribly important to me. One of the key things in the yoga world now is the training of the next generation. Um, uh, because in, in in yoga studios now, the, the demand suddenly got so uh, strong that people started turning out yoga teachers who are essentially just fitness trainers and don't themselves know the deeper meanings of yoga. And and that kind of um, thing has to be guarded against.
2: Mm -hmm. When Uh, you know Paramahansa Yogananda said to his disciples when he was here, he said, prepare yourself now, because in the future there will be millions (laughs) seeking this teaching and not enough qualified teachers um, to teach them. And it's exactly what you're describing.
3: Yeah, and and fortunately, there's there are you know good people, knowledgeable people, and there are the traditional sources of wisdom. I mean, mm-hmm. the autobiography of the Yogi is still being read; it's still being bought in yoga studios. So you know, uh, so is the now you can get you know twenty five different translations of the Bhagavad Gita at, you know with a click of the mouse. Whereas when I first got started on the path, I, 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 went, I looked all over New York City to get a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, you know, so the traditional sources are still there. There's, you know, the, the, one hopes that the elders who uh, know better will train the younger generations to preserve the teachings in their integrity. Because mm-hmm. what you don't want, you adaptation is very important, and it's necessary. Otherwise, it, you know, things die. Mm-hmm. But the adaptation has to be done skillfully so that you don't distort or degrade yes. the essence yes. of, of, of yoga in the process.
2: That's right, the essence, and we have to preserve the um the, the essence the, the spiritual energy of the transmission that is there Phil it's been a delight to have this conversation with you as always and a joy to share this yoga hour with our listeners um, and I want to tell the listeners you can check the Unity FM archives there's two additional yoga hour programs with Phil Goldberg December 9th uh, 2010 the Great East West Transmission and January 16th 2011 the Dawn of Yoga in the West next week's program is Ayurveda Principles and Practice for Spiritual Growth with Cynthia Ambika Koppel. And remember, go to csccenter.org for information about the upcoming International Kriya Yoga Congress March 7th through 9th with Roy Eugene Davis. Please remember to um, like us on Facebook, get the word out about Yoga Hour. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then... Let your inner light shine into the world, and remember to share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Bye, Phil. Good talking with you again.
3: Bye. It's great to be with you. I'll see you in March. Okay, thanks.
2: Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org
2: Celebrated Unity minister and author Eric Butterworth tells us, The exciting thing is that wherever you may be along the way of unfoldment and self-realization, no matter what the problems or challenges you may face, there is always more in you, the mystery of God
1: in you, the Christ in you, which means your potential for healing, for overcoming, for prosperity. There is no limit. Join us each week for Discovering Eric Butterworth, Tuesdays
2: at 5 p.m. Central Time with host Rev. Tom Thorpe. Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice activated technology, available on any Alexa enabled device like the Amazon Echo.